Hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of your favorite thing to listen to, the Harmful Habits Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Amin, and in this episode, Jamisa and Ben talk about accountability in families and what issues arise when there is a lack of it. We will be recording episodes of this podcast live most Fridays at noon on TikTok at Healing Harmful Habits, so be sure to tune in and join the conversation. We're also on Instagram and YouTube at Healing Harmful Habits and on Twitter at Ben and Jamisa. We appreciate every one of you who supports us on any or all of these platforms. And now, without further ado, the one and only Elevation Beats. Missing Amin today um, because Amin. He decided to run away. Well, he had to go to Tennessee as part of his Trump mission trip. As they go through Trump College, he has to go to Tennessee. What's he doing there? Um, he's helping kick out the black people from the state house. Oh, well, they already did that. No, but you know, they came back. Yeah. So he's having to. Uh, What's he going to do now? Protesting them being back? Mm hmm. Mm. You know is how it, Mean feels about black people. Mm. Is it him and other people or just him sitting at the state house alone? It's probably just him. Mm. I think he has to wear the short sleeved white shirts and ride around on a bicycle. Well, that's not our topic for today. Nope. No, it's not. Our topic for today is accountability in families. And so when people make mistakes in families, what do you do? How do people make amends? That's a vague word, mistake. Like, I make mistakes every day in our family. You do, and we're about to have some estrangement. So do you. Mm-mm. Can we count the ways? Mm-mm. So, mistakes. Well, we're going to talk about when people cause harm in families. Mm-hmm. Um, I think <clears throat> we tend to use extremes when it comes to harm. We tend to go straight to abuse or things like that. But I think what we're going to talk about today, with your consent, of course, is just what happens when harm is caused in families, either intentionally or unintentionally. How do different family members make amends? Mm -hmm. And what happens when amends isn't possible? I think this, and we can also talk about this in regards to, like like you said, in harm. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people think of, like, extreme physical harm or Mm -hmm. things in Sometimes it's just emotional pain, right? Mm -hmm. People feeling minimized, people feeling not heard, people feeling disrespected. Um, And then we'll talk about that on an acute level versus more pattern-based behavior. Mm -hmm. And of course, we're using the three trees of change, talking about emotional resilience, cognitive consonance, and behavioral alignment. And we'll be using the red, yellow, green. Red being... When it's reached that real problem level, yellow being um, when it's some warning flags present and green being when everything is healthy. So we typically start with green, right? Yes. Before we do that, you want to talk about how your week has been? Oh, it's been good. This is it's busy, but I'm... What brought you joy this week other than another week of... Oh, you know what really bliss? brought me joy this week? Um, is it Monday me. evening? Um as the sun was going down, it was like around 7 o'clock, I was able to go out and um, plant my veggies. It was really nice. Um, I absolutely love gardening um, and put all my vegetables in the ground, and it was just nice. The sun was setting. It was me and the dog, my uh, favorite I dog. I was there. Were you? I was there. Oh, okay. So me, the dog, and Ben. Um, so I had a chance to, to do that. I absolutely love just being outside, being able to get my hands in the dirt, um, just watching the vegetables grow. Um, hopefully this year we'll eat them. I think last year we spent a lot of time admiring them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we did. We did. We ate cantaloupe. We did eat cantaloupe out the garden. Um, so what that brought me a lot of joy. Uh, so we are growing cantaloupe, um, watermelon, tomatoes. Squash, pole beans, cucumber, uh, 
uh, what is it called? Uh, Carolina Reaper hot peppers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we have like a hodgepodge of like veggies that we really don't know what they are. Uh, yeah, you bought some anonymous vegetables. I did, and we put them in the garden. So we're just going to see what happened. I looked at, I checked them out this morning, and they seem to be thriving. And we'll figure out what <laughs> they start to produce something um, in the next few months. What they are. So that brought me joy. Um, of course, spending time with you all, uh, you and the kids. That's always fun, especially in the spring and summer. When we're able to sit outside, and um, when the sun starts to to set settle down no one's worried about what brings me joy i live in an existential vacuum so yeah on today's podcast we are going to start talking about accountability in families when people harm one another within a family either intentionally or unintentionally how does one go about addressing that so jamisa let's start with us Mm -hmm. how well do you think each of us addresses when we cause harm to each other I think we do well. Um, hmm. Interesting. I do. I I don't think we are far from perfect. Um, we definitely, um, I think have. I mean, I think any couple we will are. I would say couple and family. Like, well, I would say speaking for particularly for you and I. Um, I think we do a good job when we say things or act in a way that may be unkind. Uh, that we go back and address it. What are some of the behaviors you think we do that are helpful when we've harmed each other or upset each other? A lot of communicating. So we talk, we spend a lot of time talking about our feelings, talking about emotions, um, allowing the other person to share how they feel, um, and just really processing those things. And it's hard to do. Um, I... And this is one of the things I know we'll talk about within... But real quick, I find my eyes rolling when you say we spend a lot of time talking about our emotions. And Mm. I think a lot of guys, when they hear that, are going to find their eyes rolling. Because to me, it's not so much talking about emotions in this way of like... I'm feeling this way. But mm -hmm. no, how someone's behavior have impacted them. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I mean when I say that. So I think I I use that in a very general um, term. But specifically, when there is an issue that's happened, we will talk about this made me feel this way. And if you're able to hear that, um, though, again, it's hard to hear at times, um, it really settles you down from the person who's the receiver of that um, to really hear, like, this had an impact on me in this way. So you're saying, like, if you've done something that's hurtful towards me and if I share that with you, it helps you settle down? Right, exactly. It's not settle down, but, like, I have a really, I have a true understanding. Because if you're communicating to me, I'm mad because you said this to me, then I feel like I will a lot of times defend that. And I think you. Okay, if you present with being hurt versus being angry. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm so if you now. say, Jimmy said, I'm mad as hell at you because you did this and you said this, I'm probably going to give you a rebuttal of like defending myself. Mm-hmm. Well, yet the times that you've come to me and you said, hey, you said this and this impacted me in this way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you said this and, you know, it, it hurt because of blah, 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 blah. Then that so we're kind of diving deep into it already, we are, right? Yeah. But what you're saying, what I hear you saying, and, and tell me if I'm getting this completely wrong, is that if you approach it through connection versus you versus me, it sets everything off on a on a much better foot. Mm-hmm. So the fight, flight, freeze doesn't get triggered. Right. Instead, you're triggering connection. Right. You're triggering support. Mm-hmm. And we are diving. Mm-hmm. And but, um, but yeah, I think that's good. And we talked about uh, one of the things that. We've talked about, um, I think, that we're going to address is, like, people who struggle with being able to hear, um, like, no. I mean, they, they have a pride and they struggle with apologizing. So right now I feel like you're ignoring the podcast because you're texting with friends. I'm not texting with friends. I'm texting with the person that works here that needs to know some information. <laughs> and I need to give that person so that information. I would like to talk about that. Okay. When you are texting with friends, when we're having an intimate conversation. I am not texting with a friend. This is mm. our office manager. You're sounding a little defensive. Isn't this just what you said? Would you like to see it? Isn't this what you said you would not do mm. if but, I started with? Oh, my God. I can So justification. The other thing you can do is if you're trying to talk to someone and they are justifying, you can immediately recognize, okay, this person's too defensive to hear this. Mm-hmm. 
And I think what that does is as you're getting to know someone, as you're building a relationship, you can get a real sense of how well can this person take accountability. Mm-hmm. And if you're really attracted to someone but they can't take accountability for shit, that relationship is going to struggle. Right. Because you're never going to feel truly heard. And when they've harmed you, which is going to happen in a relationship, they're not going to be able to take responsibility for that pain. So as we talk about um, this within a family, it obviously goes beyond a relationship, and then it moves out to our children, too. Mm-hmm. And um, especially as kids get older, um, beyond you know, two and three years old, and they have an opinion about their world and as parents kind of maneuvering or moving about in their world um, that we have to be accountable for how we treat them. And it's hard, I think, for parents to say, well, you know what? I'm sorry I messed that up. Oh, you mean like parents apologizing to Mm -hmm. their kids for for times that they've engaged Mm -hmm. in that behavior. And for those of you who are watching live on TikTok, feel free to comment. We'll see how many of your questions we can incorporate. Um, But that's like with the hurt and fear, right? Like some... Families teach boys you cannot be hurt and afraid, you can only be angry. And then the only behavior we get from those boys as they get older is anger. And it's the same thing. If as a man or if as a woman you're unable to teach your children how to apologize, how to take accountability, they're going to move through the world not taking accountability for anything. Mm -hmm. And then we have a bunch of little Donald Trumps running around, (laughs) like not taking responsibility for any of the ways that they create pain in the world. Right. And it becomes really problematic. So coming back to the family, what are some of the things that you think you need to improve on when it comes to taking accountability? Within our family? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think I do good with our kids in terms of accountability. It's probably you, <laughs> to be honest with you, that I think I struggle with. Like if my kids told me like, hey, mom, you yelled at me. Mm-hmm. And I know that everyone has different, in our home has a different definition of what yelling is. I yeah, so our do young not like any right. kind of raised voice. So our youngest son, if there is a if my voice is raised in any way in his world, I am yelling at him. Mm-hmm. And so so when I hear him tell me that, like, and it won't be in the middle of us having you know, if he and I have had, I don't know, some sort of disagreement, oftentimes he will he'll share that with me when we're just relaxing. He's like, Mom, when you yell at me, I don't like that. And I will take accountability for that. I was like, you know, I'm sorry. I apologize. I will make, you know, I'll try really hard to not do that. Um, Even with our our daughter, like I I think I do a really good job with being accountable to them. Okay. And then where do you think you struggle in our relationship to take accountability? So I will have to admit I um, am an incredibly stubborn person. That's not that that that's much. Yeah. Nope. nope. Not correct. Oh my God! Stop. Okay, we get it. Everyone's very happy about this, Jamisa. So I am very stubborn, and I don't, and I, and that I don't like. I will apologize. I don't like it to be forced on me, and I think that's where I struggle at. And do you think now is a good time for us to talk about types of apologies? So I'm going to do a couple of impressions. Wait, 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 wait. Before we get into this, where do you think you struggle at in our relationship in terms of being accountable? I think I sometimes struggle to see how my behavior impacts other people due to some social blindness. Okay. So, like, I'm not always good at reading what may have upset you. And without clear communication, I struggle to really... So if I say, hey, what's wrong? And you're like, nothing. I immediately know something's wrong, but it's very difficult for me to figure out what's wrong. And I think that causes me a lot of confusion. You just put that right back on me. Where do you struggle with? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I struggle to read when I've upset people. I struggle to figure out in what ways I may have upset them. Mm -hmm. What about with the the kids, with the family? Oh, I'm amazing with them. No problem there whatsoever. Um, and it's interesting because both of our kids de- are developing very similar styles, right? Like, so our daughter has a very similar apology style to you. Mm-hmm. Like, she'll get, she does not like apologize. Mm-mm. She'll get mad. She'll get defensive and want to explain why it was actually somebody else's fault. I don't think she does that. I just think she don't. She won't apologize. And then our son is very quick to apologize, mm-hmm. but he often is going to struggle to see when he may have upset someone. Mm-hmm. I think it's quite That's similar. That's scary. That our kids are so much like us. 
So in what ways or what does a proper apology look like, do you think? I think you, please share with us. I think it's You're like, like the apology. I guess if I hurt you, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was my best Jamisa impression. <laughs> Whatever. Come on, was that not on the money? <laughs> you do not look amused right mm-hmm. now. Um, uh, so most of our listeners do not listen via live, and so they, they will miss the opportunity to see your facial expressions right now. <laughs> But that's one of the ways people do apologize in the real world, right? Mm-hmm. Which is this. I'm if not you feel sorry. like I hurt your feelings, then sorry. Mm-hmm. So if you're just trying to say the words, I'm sorry, you've missed the boat. Mm-hmm. If you feel like just using words, I'm sorry, in a very performative sense, you've missed the boat. So I, to, in my opinion, an apology should be some sort of transformative change where you're saying, I recognize how this hurt you and I'll put effort Um into understanding that pain and also not recreating that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that can be done different ways for different people. Do you think, you know how people talk about like the love languages and all that kind of stuff, and um, it, it kind of got, um, what's the word, maybe like hijacked by the Christian faith a little bit. Right. Um, do you think there's apology languages? What do you mean? Like based upon like your personality? Yeah, so like for example, if... I feel like if you've done something to hurt me, you're probably not going to use the words, I'm sorry. But you might like, here's some food I made for you, and then you'll walk away. And that is like a big-time apology from mm-hmm. Jimmy Samotley. And so you, I think you have to know the other person's apology language. I think that's true. But I think the other issue with this is we tend to apologize in the way that we... Are fine to be comfortable, which is then going back to what's... Com- like That is, again, not going out of our comfort zone. I think that's true. I think people do what how is comfortable for them. So for mm-hmm. me to come and say that I'm sorry, I'll do it. And I, I have apologized to you. Um, and I will tell you, like, I see where you're coming from. I understand what you mean by this. And I think that's my version of an apology. I'm like, Ben, I understand what you mean when you told me whatever. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is the apology versus using the words, I am sorry, because mm-hmm. I am explaining to you that I understand. I'm trying to connect with you in that way. And I may not necessarily say those words to you exactly, which is interesting because I will use those words with the kids. And I will tell them, like, I am sorry. I did not mean to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's the same thing with love languages, right? Like people tend to use their love language with people to make them feel loved rather than trying to seek. Mm-hmm. And so like if I apologize to you, I probably am going to use words and like a very like logical kind of cognitive behavioral pattern, which may not even appeal to you mm-hmm. in terms of an apology mm-hmm. versus I should look at how you apologize to me and replicate that when it comes time to apologize to you. Right. I agree. And I think we don't do that with everyone. It's not just in intimate partner relationships, but I think with friendships, um, again, with children, um, even at work, I I don't think people do that often. It's this very uh, shallow version of like, I'm just sorry. Mm -hmm. And And then everyone's expected to move on and forget that there was an offense. Mm -hmm. I go straight with this just because of all our DEI work. I go straight to conversations about race, right? So if I Mm -hmm. say something that you find racist, and you're like, hey, Ben, that was racist. And I'm like, no, it wasn't. Like, what the hell are we doing? How do we know how to apologize in the other areas of life mm-hmm. but not know how to take accountability for this? Right. Well, and maybe the apology part is that people struggle with being accountable for their mm-hmm. actions across the board. Like, people don't want to say, yeah, I messed up. And even beyond the apology, I think you have to even go back and say, like, can I just be accountable a period in life? Mm-hmm. You know, like, can I be accountable for my actions? Can I recognize that I'm not going to be perfect and I'm going to mess up as a parent? I'm going to mess up as, you know, a person that is supervising people um, for everything. And I, you know, if we can't recognize that, then we're all going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to be the expert in everything. I'm going to F some things up. And so you have an option between seeing apologizing as a weakness and seeing apologizing as in a, a, an opportunity to connect. Mm-hmm and to be vulnerable, and to use it as a strength. Like this is a win-lose situation mm-hmm. if I apologize. And that's how, I think that's how people take it. Um, I think when you see that with kid, with families, like parents feel like if they apologize and tell their kid, like, I totally messed this up, then that child has a one-up on the parent. And mm-hmm. it should never be seen as such. 
Mm-hmm. But then the kid also learns apologizing means you lose power. Mm. And so you see this in the media, right? Mm-hmm. Like people won't apologize because they don't want to lose power mm-hmm. versus just being like, wow, I've hurt another human. Let me recognize this. Let me seek to change some behavior. Right. I would say my people, like white men, are the absolute worst at this. Like they go around saying, if that hurts your feelings, you're just a snowflake. But then the minute someone infringes upon any kind of their comfort zone. It becomes an issue. They flip the hell out. Mm-hmm. And, and they want that apology. Mm-hmm. It's an expectation. And so it's that double standard. And a lot of people function this way. A lot of people have this double standard that people should apologize to them and mm-hmm. that other people should be accountable for their behavior. But the individual themselves doesn't feel any need for accountability about their behavior and how they hurt people. Are you ready to move into yellow? Yeah. Do you think? Um so when are there red flags and apologies or taking accountability? What I think that? what we just talked about, like when there's justification, um, when there is a situation where um, I can't see what I've done, I can't see my wrong. And maybe that's yellowish moving over to red, but if I can't see, I can't let my pride go enough to see that I may have hurt another individual. Would you agree that it's this choice between protecting yourself or helping the other person heal. And everyone has to I think people struggle with that. Yeah. Like, okay, you say to me, Ben, what you said was sexist, what you said was racist, and I have a choice between protecting my ego and protecting Mm -hmm. my sense of self, or I have a choice to being open, curious, and exploring this issue with you. Like, I could start with Jamisa. You're someone I would never want to hurt. Tell me more about what happened, because... Unfortunately, I'm completely unaware mm-hmm. of how that happened. I see this. Um, it's funny. I see a lot of this with um, parents and children and kids. I had a client um, and their parent was in my office uh, a, while, a long time ago. And the kid was going on about their emotions and these different things. But at the same time, um, the parent could not hear it. Like they kept going back to, I don't like to be lied to. And the kid was like, I wasn't lying to you. Like because of my, whatever, you know, the situation they were dealing with, they didn't disclose everything to the parent and the parent just could not hear any Mm. of those things. So we had to like go all the way back and just be able to like, like have this parent just settle down and be able to become emotionally regulated to hear the difficult things that their kid was saying in that moment. And it's one of those, you're right. It's a part, I think sometimes it's protecting what, our identity and who we think we are um, versus being able to really settle down and hear another human being. And so that's where that timing comes in, right? So it's not just about justification. It's not just about uh, making excuses. Timing is also essential Mm -hmm. for apologizing. If people are not emotionally regulated on either side of that situation, it's not going to work. But I don't even know if it, we you, you we use the term apologize, but I don't know if it always equal. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't apologize when we've done something wrong. But just even without the apology, like just being accountable internally, like how mm-hmm. can I be? Because people can apologize. This is, I think, is, to me becomes an issue. Like there are some people who are able to um, come and give you some sincere emo- like uh, emotional apology and it's BS sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to then go back to ourselves individually and say, can I even be accountable for my actions? And then being accountable, am I then being able to move away from those behaviors and start changing those behaviors? Because um, I've come across plenty of people that they, they're just really good at lip service and there's never change. We work with a lot of adults and a lot of teens who are involved in the criminal justice mm-hmm. system. And you'll see, you'll meet these teens who might be quite affluent or whatever, who just fail to take any responsibility. Mm-hmm. And the minute mm-hmm. they walk into the criminal justice system, it's almost like they're telling the judge and telling the attorneys and telling the law enforcement personnel what they are and what they're not going to do. Right. And then you meet the parents, you're like, oh, makes sense. Mm-hmm. The parents start off with, do you know mm-hmm. who I know? And all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Because we can only give our kids what we have. Right. And if we're unable to take accountability, we're not going to be able to help our children to take accountability either. So the yellow flags have to do with justifying, have to do with making excuses, have to do with defending yourself, Mm -hmm. have to do with putting your own ego above the relationship Mm -hmm. itself. And so what we're doing when we're working with kids on these issues is trying to model 
the opposite of each of those. Right. I have so many yellow flags <laughs> examples just from my practice that I have come across. Um, and it's a, the very same things that we're talking about, like the accountability, like just uh, parents not be able to be accountable for like when they mess up with the kid. Um, but then the shame that comes along with this mm-hmm. and this constant like you keep messing up like the kid, like they're just there's never like I am a parent. I'm the parent. I'm the person that's supposed to care for this kid yet. Like I'm doing a piss poor job of it. Even when the kid is pointing it out, like they just cannot see it. And I think then you get into, and this is, we're going from yellow into red. You get into disrupted relationships where Mm -hmm. trust is not going to be present. And even though you may be close, such as family, you're going to start seeing these real tears in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And it's stuff that maybe can't be rebuilt. We're going to talk about What do you mean that you're close, but there's tears? Because that sounds like two very different things. I mean, that, that too, it's like, how can those two things work in the mm-hmm. same area, like in the same household? So you've mentioned, like, during college, you and your mom really struggled mm-hmm. to communicate. Mm-hmm. So you were close because she's your mom, but there were tears in the relationship right. that needed to be addressed. And at that point, neither of you had the skill set to address those. Okay. And so that's what I mean, you're close because she's your mom, but there's these... Close in terms of... Um, proximity. Okay. Because we weren't, we, I didn't live at home during that time. Mm-hmm. She lived in the house next door. I was away at college. It was a bit awkward. <laughs> so I was away. And, and yeah, so, but I think with, what happens is that, but that to me is like once you get to that point where there is a tear and there's fractures in the relationship and within a family, in a family, in a marriage, and no, and that begins to me is like a, this slow, small crack, right? That begins mm-hmm. to happen that hadn't repaired, and then over time it just gets bigger and bigger. That there is no repair; it's just at that point it's shattered um, because maybe both parties can't do the work to make it come back together. Either one person really wants, and we've got to be careful in. not to make it always seem like both parties. Well, need that's to do what I'm saying. Yeah, that somebody may be interested in it, but other person don't want to put the work in at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, because back to what we were just talking about, you know, a few minutes ago is that there's no accountability mm-hmm. from that person. Or because of their pride, they can't say that they messed up. Or because of their worldview. Like if you're a narcissist who's been taught mm-hmm. the world revolves around you mm-hmm. and then you're meant to be part of a relationship and someone is needing you to engage meaningfully in that relationship and to be vulnerable and to admit areas of growth. If you're a narcissist and you can't do that, it's not even going to appear on your scanner. Oh, true. And when people are like, hey, I really need you to kind of work on this part of, you're going to be like, do you realize how lucky you are to be married to me? Hmm. Which is something I've said to you often. Yeah. Hmm. Whatever. Maybe I need to address my own narcissism. Interesting. So these cracks appear, right? Mm-hmm. And because people are struggling to take accountability for the small things, it then develops patterns. And as people struggle to take accountability for these patterns, you then get into um, a couple of different options. If you're family members, we typically call it estrangement. Right. And this is where we get into the red area. If you're a husband and wife. um, Separation or mm, possibly divorce. Yeah, if you're a romantic partnership, then you're moving towards separation. And the other thing that happens, I think, is the animosity. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, I think go ahead, is, I have a couple of things to say about that. Well, I think what's key to me is whether you go through a divorce, whether you go through estrangement, can you let go of the animosity? Well, I was going to say, I think that, and, and I will and speak about um, relationships, like intimate partner relationships, is that 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 animosity is like people will make separations and they will separate and divorce based upon the animosity. And I think, and I'm always, I cautious, caution people on that. Like when you want to make that decision to leave, like don't do it out of pure, like you're mad as hell at this person, like really be able to slow down enough to think through the decision that you're making with the other person. When I get divorced from you. No, I'm, I'm glad gonna, you're plan, You're already planning that. I'm going to make sure it's not animosity based. I'm going to think back to this podcast. Hmm. But do you feel like, I think maybe even with estrangement, um, that that decision has to be made really thought through about like this decision to make a separation. Maybe an estrangement's different from divorce, right? Because divorce Absolutely. is very. I guess divorce doesn't have to be final either. 
Divorce doesn't have to be final. No, it, um, estrangement doesn't definitely doesn't have to be a, a fi- mm-hmm. from family. Doesn't have to be a final situation. Mm-hmm. So, um, but with estrangement, you can kind of say, "I need a break." Mm-hmm. And so, full disclosure, I have some people in my life that I'm estranged from, mm-hmm. and it's never been like, "All right, I'm done with them forever." It's like I cannot be around this behavior without some conversation about it. And if we can't communicate about this behavior, then mm-hmm. I need some more space. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where the importance of space comes in and boundaries and things like that um, that we can talk about some is I use the amount of time I can spend with someone while being positive, while being caring, while being thoughtful as my like um, measuring stick for how much time I can actually spend with them. Absolutely. So um, I have a few clients that are at this point with their family and they are really struggling with like this one in particular is like I have, we had that exact conversation about like how much time can you be around a parent, your particular parent that you're struggling with without you becoming emotionally unregulated. Mm -hmm. And initially it was like, Jamisa, I think I can spend I can go visit them for a day and it's okay. And we've now moved to, I can't do it. You know, they had recently had to be around this family member and they're like, I can't do it, Jamisa. Like they can't, they saw them several days later and they're like, I know that I can't do it. And I think a sibling called and said, they expressed a concern about this particular parent. And they're like, I felt so bad because I didn't really, there's like, I care because I want them to be okay, but I didn't have that strong emotional pull to call this parent. And they're like, I know I have to, like, I have to have space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talked about how can you do this in a way that's not where there's no animosity, that you can still care about this parent. If they need something, you can do that for them. But then you but your your interactions with them has to be incredibly limited. And that goes back to this modeling, right? Like with our kids, we're very um, intentional to make sure that they can choose to have time and space away from a conversation. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to talk to our son or our daughter about something, they're like, I cannot do this right now. We're like, okay, why don't you take some time mm-hmm. and we'll come back and have this conversation. Mm-hmm. And so that modeling from a very young age of people taking the time and space they need to treat people well. Right. And people will talk about the harm of um, estrangement. But estrangement is so much less damaging than having the continual boundary overstepping and harm causing. And so breaking that cycle with periods of estrangement or periods of strong boundaries is one of the healthiest things you can do sometimes. But I, So there is so much information. Uh, there's, uh, there's so much around Didn't estrangement. Didn't you bring stats today? I did, but I want to say this. I, I feel like... Um, and we're in, well, I'll speak for myself. I'm in my late 40s. And so my mother, obviously, you know, is in her, well, much older than me. So she's in her, you know, you talk about people in their 60s and 70s. And there's this idea. You're in your late 40s, would you say? Yeah. Hmm. I'm closer to 50 than I am to 40. Hmm. Um. Anyways, so there's this idea that parent, I think that I have been ingrained with is that I am supposed to take care of my parent. Well, you're also an only child, too. I am, but I think there's just this obligation that we've been taught. Even Mm -hmm. my cousins who, you know, I'm the only person in my family that's the only child, but even my cousins, like, there's been this idea, like, you have to take care of this parent. No matter how much and what they do, you care for them, no matter how they treat you. And this is expectation. Again, I've always talked about this younger generation because I absolutely love them because they're like, no, I'm not going to, like, you're not going to mistreat me. You're not going to disrespect me, the parent. And then turn around and have this expectation that I'm going to somehow just like bend to your will all the time. Like it's not okay. And we have to get out of this idea that we are supposed to endure some a trauma from someone and then continue because we can continue to do it because we tell our children not to do that. Yet this is expectation. But that was the same with marriage kids. for so long, right? Yeah. Like you have to stay married despite how abusive mm-hmm. um, this man might be no matter how um, physically, mentally, emotionally, financially abusive he's being towards you, you have to weather this because that's mm-hmm. the responsibility of a wife. Mm-hmm. And I think you're seeing that same revolution in and, families. Yeah, you see the exact same thing. And as you see people just like, I'm not putting up with this crap from a husband. Like, if you're going to be abusive towards me, like, I'd much rather just I'll be by myself. And we have to take that, a similar approach to family. And I think the difference, though, I think where people get confused at is that if I'm, if you're not going to be divorced, then, Are and we? we've... 
and we have finalized that divorce, the likelihood of us reuniting is going to be little to none. We'll both move on with our lives. But I think with, and I think this is where people struggle with, with estrangement. It doesn't have to be finite. Like it doesn't have to be final. Like you can just take space. Um, and I think sometimes we need that just to build some resilience up too as well. But I kind of like that about the new generation too, like this younger generation of teens and 20 year olds are very good at just saying, I don't need this in my life right now. Mm -hmm. Like this is causing more pain than it is, um, resilience and, um, let me check it out again in a few months. Right. They tend to be less finite. They tend to be less needing to define we're a couple, we're not a couple, we're this, Mm -hmm. we're not that. Mm -hmm. And obviously there's some downsides to that. But one of the things I really like about it is this sense of things are in constant flux. Right. Which seems much more in touch with the reality. Right. Um, So the people that I'm currently estranged from in my life, I have no idea what the future looks like. Mm -hmm. And what I do know is that I feel I can care for them better when I'm not engaging with them. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds so bizarre to people. Um, but it's the sense of like us all spending time together brings out the worst sides of everybody. I I, I don't know if you want me to comment on that or not, but. Yeah, feel free. Because I think you joined the estrangement. <laughs> well, I, I've been an observer. I think you co-signed off. Well, I think I've been an observer of the interactions. And it's interesting because right? in the beginning, I think your mindset was Ben's probably exaggerating mm-hmm. some of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you reached a point where you're like, no, we need to create some space. Well, I think just to be an observer of it um, and then just to be in the company of the other person, the person that you're estranged from, away from you, um, gave me a, a big, a, like, a, a better understanding, I think, of, from your perspective, but then also to see their behavior and to see where the two of you together, just personality-wise, would not... The, the engagement, it would not be healthy. I think mm-hmm. there's a, and I think this is what, and I want, I, I spend some time talking about this with it, with my clients. Like we have to come to an understanding, like there's going to be person, like when you have two adults, that adult that is a parent and that adult is a child, there's just going to be some personality clashes. And I think we have to recognize that. So I think for you in particular there and the, the two of you, there is definitely a personality clash. I think there is all kind of things that's happened that people have not been accountable for their behaviors growing up. And again, that small break that we talked about initially becomes this huge gap, these huge cracks. And you're right. I mean, at some point you have to just, you know, it's like, let's just take, let's just take a break because there's never, there hadn't been times recently that I've seen the interactions between, or at least in-person interactions where it's been healthy or both people have been able to walk away and say, you know what, this was a good visit. Because it's not the case, you know, and then I have to be and it doesn't always have to be where there's a conflict between the two people. But there are stressors from either side. You can see that the other person is there's some stressors in the interactions. There's tension in the interaction. It's like, why put yourself through that mm. when you don't have to? Why either party do it? Exactly. That's what I mean. Like if, if that if the person that you're estranged from finds themselves to be stressed out when they're around you, don't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, let's just, let's let's take a break for a while. And what becomes interesting, right, is when the other party will say, no, this is too painful, we need to spend time together, but yet there's still no accountability for behavior. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what people want to skip over. Mm-hmm. Like, let's skip over the accountability, let's, let's skip over this stuff if you're going to go back to, to spending that time together. You know what I've seen, what I've had someone tell oh, me. Oh, you have a glimmer in your eye. I'm not looking forward to this. So No, no, no. So I had someone tell me that they have confronted with their, um, I had a, a, a client tell me that they confronted their parent about behaviors that have not been addressed. And you know what the parent said? You just need to continue going to therapy. Mm-hmm. And that'll work itself out. And they're just like, no, like, yeah, me going to therapy is working on me. Mm-hmm. Like that, that does not then fix the issues that we have. And they really uh, have, have a real. It's also another personal attack, right? Right. Mm-hmm. It's like that's you on you. Your, mm-hmm. That if you get your stuff together, everything would be okay. And mm-hmm. they're just like, yeah. So if and they really are contemplating like. Like taking that break, they're like, I just need to even like just don't live in the same like not even like once you know. They're like, I may need to move across country. Well, talk to me about these stats you bought. You were very excited to have found some. I have. So now can I use my phone? Mm-hmm. Okay. So there is a poll 
I don't know. I have to look up and see where it came from. But it says a poll. Of, um, there was a poll where um, they someone polled like 11,000 Americans. This is like some Amin type research, right? I here. know. Um, Are you doing this in honor of Amin's absence? I am. So stop. So they said more than one, uh, one in four Americans have some sort of estrangement from family members. So it's like 29% reports being estranged from an immediate family member, including sibling, parent, children, or grandchildren. Um, And this this number is actually slightly higher for men with 31% reporting estrangement compared to 27% of women. Isn't that interesting that men are... Are those all the numbers you have? No, I have more information. All right, let's hear it. Oh, my gosh. Did that surprise you? Yeah, it surprised, that surprised me about the number of people that have estranged. And I think with in terms of gender, too. But then I can see that. I think That gender difference isn't that big, though. But even that there, I, I thought, I don't know, maybe I thought that there would be less. You thought more women would be mm-hmm. estranged? What, why did you think that? I don't know. I think, and maybe I'm wrong in that. I guess just thinking about like the people that I work with in my practice, where I have more women that talked about needing to be estranged than I had with men. Okay, that's my thought. What are your thoughts about that? Thank you to Kathy Pop for all the likes. Um, yeah, that, that sounds about right. One in four. I'm thinking about friends. Because mm-hmm. as soon as there's estrangement in one family, that affects so many people in that family. So the one in four seems about right. Okay. So this is another interesting thing, right? Like if you're estranged with a parent and there's siblings in the family, they then have to navigate the estrangement too. Yes, and I have seen that um, where I have clients that talk about that that have a mm-hmm. fairly big family and it, uh, the client's like, I need to take a break from this parent and that's the only parent. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, so they're like, Jimmy, so how do I navigate? We take family trips. They, I can't go on. They're like, I know to be fact, I cannot be in this house with this parent for four I just or five take days. a break from everyone. Well, they talked about that. And they're like, maybe it's one of those situations where I just go for the day and then I leave because I know I can't so the, be with that person. The challenge or the the part of it I don't like or that I find difficult or just impossible to work through is if you then spend time with other people in the family, them giving you their take on it. Oh, their opinion about your yeah. estrangement? Mm-hmm. Without having the facts, without having mm-hmm. the information. Well, I, because other people... and. And I think we may need to go back to explain to even talk further about like the estrangement within family members, because everyone is going to have their own perspective about what happened Mm -hmm. in the family. Right. So if one person was abused in the family, that abuse may have happened to one person, but it didn't happen to everybody else. And so everyone else is going to be like, this parent was great. And they can't understand why Mm -hmm. you, the person needs, need to have that break from that family Mm -hmm. member. Or why. Or you just being an asshole and difficult. May not have been anything they ever wanted accountability for. Mm-hmm. Right? Let's hear some more stats. But, and I think that's go that, what we just talked about is as a parent, you have to parent your kids differently. Right? So you can't, how I treat our daughter is going to, and how I not treat her, but like how I parent her, how I interact, how I discipline needs to be different than how I discipline and, and, and parent our son. You ever heard the saying, every child in the same family has a different parent? Mm-hmm. I have. And I really like that saying. It, it, it helps you see that reality of like who you might see as your parent is different from who your siblings experience as their parent. Mm-hmm. Right? Sorry, go ahead. Everything you say that, my screen for you. Okay. Um, and they talked about like the length of estrangement. And they're like, uh, I think people. They're like, I'm going to beat some records. <laughs> Not helpful. There's a researcher who. Um, he did this research uh, over, I don't know how many years, um, of 1,300 people, and he found on average that family estrangement can last around four and a half years. Um, and for those interviewed, 85% were estranged for a year or more. Half of those responders had no contact for four or more years. So that's about right. How does, you're looking at our personal experience. Yeah, I'm looking at you. I thought that you're about to tell me something. How does autism, you think, impact estrangement? Any stats on that? No, what do you mean? Well, um, so first of all, autism seems to run in families, right? Like mm-hmm. it does in ours. Do you think autism and sometimes the challenges it creates with interpersonal communication um, enhances the risk or the likelihood of estrangement? I think so, because dealing with uh, this, I don't want to say dealing, parenting someone who's on the spectrum, um, it takes. By the way, you shouldn't be parenting me, you should be. I'm not talking about you. Ah. 
Um, It takes, I think, a certain, not skill set, but you have to think about everything very differently from a very bigger perspective. And so where I have an idea of how I can parent our daughter, that, and I know I can see the shifts that begin to happen with her as they are starting to happen now through just developmentally with our youngest, it doesn't, it's not the same. So for an example, me slightly raising my voice and I'm not even yelling, like I'm just raising, like just a slight mm-hmm. raising the voice for him to do something is him yelling. And so I have to, where I'm, I want to say so bad, like, I'm not yelling at you, buddy. Like, I just need you to do this and you're not listening to me. For him, that's yelling, and that really hurts mm-hmm. him because people who are on the spectrum experience I tell emotions. You the same thing. I know, and I, I and I tell you the same. Well, I don't tell you. I'm sorry. I tell mm-hmm. you that I'm not yelling mm-hmm. um, because those emotions are. But it's bigger. not funny because I'll be like, "Jimmy, see you're yelling," and you're like, "I'm not yelling." But I tell him I apologize to him. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Because emotions are bigger, you want accountability. You want it to be step by step. These are the things that I'm taking responsibility for in an apology. And I think a for legal someone, document would be nice. Yeah, and I think for someone who is parenting someone that's on the spectrum, have to understand that. Mm-hmm. And it's a difficult. It, it can be difficult. And I think for it can be difficult, particularly if if you have someone who doesn't know how to manage their emotions. I, the the parent, the adult. I think people on the autism spectrum to I should probably just talk about my own experience but I think I'm more comfortable cutting people out you are and so I think that might be part of my expression of autism too mm-hmm. is like I'm very comfortable even being like Mm-mm, I am not gonna deal with this whereas I think like I look at you and your friendships and things like that I'm like oh my lord or like even like my friends and their friendships mm-hmm. and the things they're willing to tolerate as part of that friendship Whereas those of us on the autism spectrum, remember we had that autism support group and um, one of my friends who um, also identifies as autistic said she feels the exact same way. Like she would, she's more than, she's willing to cut people out of her life when mm-hmm. it gets too much. Mm-hmm. And part of that is the overstimulation. Mm-hmm. Um, but the lack of accountability, I think, is perhaps in some ways more painful or feels more painful mm-hmm. for people on the autism spectrum. And when people just refuse to kind of take responsibility for things they've done that are hurtful. I get that. I understand. So what do you think our theme in today's topic on accountability was? I think that we have to learn to be accountable. Like we have to learn to make this shift of of seeing and like being able to hear what people are saying. When they say that we did something, you acted in a way that was unkind you hurt me in a way, you're in an emotional way, um, a mental way or whatever, to be able to stop and not be defensive, hear what they have to say, and be able to be accountable, and then work to make the changes. If it's someone that you love, that you care about, um, then you work to make the shifts. And I think this stuff is true, like, almost as a country, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we've done such a piss-poor job with marginalized communities, um, just from a for a moment speaking as a white person, like we've done such a terrible job um, making amends um, for the pain, the death, the murder, the rape that we've caused. Well, the problem is what you hear, and I'm going to talk about, you know, um, you hear people say, well, that was a long time ago. Like mm-hmm. that, well, you know, just any right. sort of justification. Right, any justification. And I say that because people say that, you know, when we talk about um, black people and just being oppressed and systemic racism. People are like, oh, that was a long time ago. Why are you asking, you know, why mm-hmm. do you want us to apologize for that now? But people do the exact same things in families. In families. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, you know, you're still bringing something up when you're like 16 and you're, you know, 25 years old. And it's like, it doesn't matter. Like, it still hurt. Like, be accountable for that. And people don't want to do it. The other similarity I see is the proximity to the pain. So, like, a white person telling a black person how they should feel about the pain they've experienced is just as ironic as, like, a parent telling the child how that child should feel about the abuse they received. Mm Mm-hmm. But yet we do this over and over mm-hmm. again in our culture. And I, what I struggle with with estrangement when I have, when people talk about like, you know, when I hear parents are saying like, why should I have to be accountable with something that happened? You know, when this kid was 14, they're now 20, you know, 25, 26, and they won't be accountable because because there is no compartmentalizing trauma. Mm-hmm. Right. So if I experience trauma at 12, it is ha- and I've not managed that. There's not been, you know, that parent, if it's from the parent, the parent had been accountable for it. 
it's going to carry on. It's going to show up in my life, whether I be 24 or 45. It will continue to show up in different ways. Um, though, if it's me and I need to work on that, I still would, if my parent is there and they're bringing things up, it. Like that is still going to be present. Mm-hmm. That trauma is going to be present. I need someone to tell me, like, and you know what? Passed I passed on generationally. Absolutely. There's a lot of great studies out there to show how this gets passed through genes mm-hmm. um, onto the next generation. So, what we haven't tackled today, and we're not going to, we'll maybe do it next week, is how you then move into forgiveness, especially with people who don't want to take accountability. Mm. You mean forgiveness of. What? Like, so for example, let's say you and me have divorced and you've done some incredibly heinous things, which would probably be the case. (laughs) And how do I then move on, even if you're still not willing to take accountability for the behaviors you've engaged in? Move on, what, in your life? life? Mm -hmm. Uh, Or how does a child who's grown up in a very problematic family mm -hmm. move on without so today's episode was all about accountability, right? And how to do that well. But for a lot of people, you're never going... You're never going to get that. You're never, right. So I think next episode would be really helpful to talk about how do you then move on without accountability? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're it's hard to... Yeah, absolutely. Because I think estrangement, when we can... We can probably do like a whole season on estrangement um, with, again, with family. Um, we could have some guest call-ins. Mm-hmm. Because it's, <laughs> no, it's like it's. I think it's more prominent than we actually mm-hmm. think. I think people are like, oh, it only happens in you know certain people or certain families, and it doesn't. Like there, I don't go a week um, without having conversations um, with clients about them needing to make some some create some space between themselves and maybe a sibling or a parent. And for those of you who are listening, do not. Take this show and then go and tell someone how they need to be accountable for their behavior. Right. You. That is the worst thing you can do. All you're going to do is trigger more problems. Mm-hmm. And so think about this in your own life, things that you could be accountable for. And then next week, what we'll talk about is what to do when accountability isn't present for people who've harmed you. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into how to some heal. Of that. All right. Anything else you wanted to share, Jamisa? I think that's it. Hopefully, we'll see. I mean, he'll be back from Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Back I'm from away. Uh, Banning the black people from the state house. For the second time. Look forward to seeing him. Take care. Have a great day, everyone. <laughs>